So this is, as Cindy said, the sixth Sunday in the season of Easter. We often think of Easter as just being one event, one moment in time that we commemorate, but it is indeed a season in the church in which we celebrate and explore everything that came after the resurrection, right up until uh, the day of Pentecost where Jesus had ascended into heaven and then sent the Holy Spirit and the church as we know it was launched. The church that we are, well, we are the church. We are the body of Christ in motion in the world. And our focus as the body of Christ is this specific community in which we serve. We call it Splendora. But rest assured, this is all part of the work of the kingdom of God, bringing people uh, to Christ, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, uh, expanding God's kingdom until the day that Jesus comes again. Now, since the apostles went out into the world to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. We as the church have been trying to explain to people who don't know Christ just exactly what it is that he did for them. And we do that most effectively if we live lives that are Christ-like. Some people may never darken the doors of our sanctuary and hear the word, but every day that you're living out in the community as an ambassador for Christ, they can see your life as an example of what it is to be Christ-like. And so our lesson today comes from the book of Acts. Acts was written by Luke. And in this case, Luke is writing about Paul and his efforts to bring people into the church. Listen to what he writes. He says, so Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I see that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything that's in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might feel around for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we have lived and moved and exist 
as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his descendants. Therefore, since we are the descendants of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by human skill and thought. So having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now proclaiming to all mankind that all people everywhere are to repent because he has set a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. Through a man he has appointed, having furnished proof to all people by raising him from the dead. That's great, Pastor. What does it all mean? See, in this chapter of Acts, we find Paul is in Athens and he's preaching to the Greeks. And the Greeks are very religious people. They're very spiritual people. But their religion is not based on the one true God. They don't know Jesus Christ. They have many gods and many practices and many philosophies that guide their life. And it, Paul begins as he's preaching to them by extending to them a compliment about who it is that they are as people. He says, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. He's, he's about to lay some, some real gospel truth on them, and he figures it's better to open them up a bit first so that they don't tune him out. Better to extend compliments than to extend criticisms and judgments. He doesn't want to alienate them by telling them right off just how terrible their idolatry is. It's not a good way to win friends and influence people, is it? Instead, he tells them, I've toured your city. I've taken interest in where it is you call home. And I've studied the statues and the altars that you've built to worship your gods. And I've found them uh, among them an altar to an unknown God. And he says, I'm here to tell you this morning that your unknown God, the God that you worship in ignorance as just one of many gods, is in fact the God who made the world and everything in it. He's Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in your shrines, the shrines that you built with your human hands, nor is he served by your human hands as though he needed anything from you, since he himself is the giver of all things. Life, breath, everything is given by him. And so that God that's unknown to you is known to those who follow the one true creator, God of the universe. And I'm here to tell you, Paul says to them, you don't have to live in ignorance any longer. I got to thinking as I read that about modern day idols in our own lives. What idols do we worship in our time? And the second thing that got me wondering is, are we still worshiping an unknown God? Or maybe better stated, is the one true God still unknown to us? 
Let's look at the, that first question for a moment. What idols do we worship today? There, there are some obvious idols. If we look at world religions, for example, false gods held up by people around the globe as objects of worship. I guess the big ones are, are the moon god, Allah, worshipped by thousands in Islam. That's their deity of choice since about the 1500s. Before that, they were just like the Greeks, worshipping a bunch of gods. And then there, there are pagan deities. Uh, many Eastern peoples worship Buddha or at least follow a philosophy of Buddhism. And then on the Indian continent, Hindus worship Vishnu, among many others, but Vishnu is the principal god. These, these are the ones that are widely known because of the prevalence of those world religions. They're the obvious ones, but what about the idolatry that's not so obvious? What kinds of things are idols to us in our modern culture? Anything can be an idol if we place more value in it than we do the one true God. We can make idols of our jobs if we let our careers define who we are. We can make material things idols if we count our worth by the amount of stuff we own. What, what's, the, what's the bumper sticker? The one with the most toys at the end is the winner. Have you read that? It's an interesting philosophy. It really has nothing to do with your eternal future because you can't take all the toys with you. I've, I've never seen a moving van behind a hearse. You can't take the stuff with you. So the, the idolatry of stuff is one that we need to be mindful of. If we count our worth by the amount of stuff we own, then we might be making an idol out of things. We can idolize people, celebrities, sports personalities. We can even make idols out of one another when we place more value on our relationship with someone than we do on our relationship with Jesus Christ. I have to tell you, even in marriages, if you make Christ your principal focus in your marriage, you will be a much better spouse. It's just the truth. Are, are you with me? <laughs> are we awake? When we place value on Jesus Christ as the primary focus of our affections, of our uh, intentions, then we're better people for everyone that we love and care about. We can even make idols out of ourselves when we put our wants, our desires above what we know from Scripture to be the righteous will of God for our lives. Have you placed any offerings on the altar of self recently? Have you, have you justified something in your life by telling yourself any of the following? I deserve this. I owe it to myself to have this or to do this. 
It's just a little personal indulgence that doesn't hurt anyone. Nobody even has to know. Or how about this one? Everybody else does it. Why can't I? Any of those thoughts enters your head in the process of engaging in anything. There's a good possibility that you've created an idol out of yourself or out of the thing that you're about to engage in or maybe even both. Those things should serve as red flags, warning signs to you. Let's take a look at the second question. Do I truly know the one true God? Do I know the God that I say that I worship? Do I know who it is that I am in worship to this morning? Have you spent any time in God's word other than when you hear the readings from the platform on Sunday morning? Do your personal idols occupy your time so much that you don't have time to get into the word of God, the God that you say you worship? Now, I'm I'm fully cognizant that we have a live stream going out and there are people outside of this congregation. Uh, This is for you also, if you're listening in. Who do you believe God is? What is his nature and character? What is your relationship to him? Does your relationship to him resemble at all what his word says that relationship should look like? So many questions. I I have found as I have become more and more involved in the study of my faith. That there are so many more questions than answers. The answers come. But with them more questions. If you ever stop questioning. That should be a red flag to you that you may have become stagnant, plateaued in your walk, in your faith. Sanctifying journey that we're on as Christians is an ever-increasing slope towards being Christ-like. When you find yourself plateaued, it's time to recheck yourself. So these questions that we just got through asking, I've asked myself many, many times since I began my walk with him, many questions that needed to be asked, some of them over and over again, as as I learn and grow and become more like Christ. If, If, like Paul says, God is not far from each one of us. If, like Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being, wouldn't it be a good idea I guess my dad would say, wouldn't it behoove us to know God, who he is, who we are in him? And so I try to search for God every day. And yes, some days it's like I'm fumbling around in the dark, not sure of where or who he is. But other days, his presence and his will are so clear to me. But whether it's a fumble day or it's a clear day, my hope in his grace and his mercy and his love remain the same. Because one thing that I have learned from 
my studying his word, one thing I've learned about God is that he is always seeking me even when I fail to seek him. Let me say that again, because if it's true for me, it's true for you. God is always seeking me and you. He's seeking us. He's pursuing us even when we fail to seek and pursue him. More questions. Are you seeking God today? Are you seeking God's truth today? Are you seeking his mercy today? Are you seeking his love today? Do you know that he's seeking you right here, right now and every day of your life? He wants a deeper relationship with you, even in those times when you feel far away from him. He is wanting a relationship with you. Have you said yes to him? If you know who he is, do you know who you are? Do you know that you are in need of a savior? If you know you need a savior, have you asked Jesus Christ to be that savior for you? Do you know that you have to make that choice? It's a personal choice. You have to ask him to be that savior for you. He's ready He knocks at the door. The question is, will you open it to receive him? And it's a free gift from him to you, but you do have to ask for it. As I said, there are folks on the live stream that may or may not have this relationship with Jesus, and they need to hear that this morning. If I'm preaching to the choir right now, then there are folks out there. Remember, we from this little sanctuary touch 24 nations across the globe with this little live stream. And so there are folks out there that are hungry for this message and they may not know Jesus the way you know Jesus. And so I'm compelled to ask this morning, is there anyone out there that has not asked Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior? And if that's true for you, what's holding you back? Because the invitation has been given, you just have to accept it. We got an invitation, Angela and I, to uh, our, our nephew and his fiance's wedding coming up in July. We got the invitation in the mail. We open the mailbox. We open the envelope. We see the invitation. But unless we RSVP, we're not included on the guest list. Angela might be, but I'm, I'm certainly have to RSVP. We have to RSVP. The invitation's been given. We just have to accept it. The love and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus waits for you to choose him even now. And so I would say to you, and I'm talking to those on the live stream as well. And I know most of the hearts that are in here, I think I have a pretty good handle on where you are in your relationship with Jesus. But the invitation goes to you too. If you want the forgiveness, if you want the freedom 
this morning that comes with receiving Christ. Then when we come to our time of reflection and response, which we will in a moment. Approach the rail. Now, I know if you're on the live stream, that would be kind of hard to do, but you can virtually approach the rail. Come and receive the forgiveness and the freedom of Christ this morning. Don't be timid. Don't be bold because grace is here this morning. Just for you. And you know who you are. Come to the rail during Holy Communion. Raise your hand either physically at this rail or virtually wherever you are and receive Jesus as your Savior this morning. If you're online Viewing this right now all across the globe, I want to say to you, Jesus sees you, even if we cannot. If you want to say yes to Jesus this morning, if you need a Savior this morning, then there's a simple prayer. And let me make this clear, because we tend to think that if I say the prayer, I'm good to go. That's all I ever need to do. I can go on living my life just as I have lived it. There's nothing that I need to do after that. Saying the little prayer, let me tell you that the prayer that opens your heart to Jesus is just step one in a lifelong journey. So be aware before you make this commitment to Christ that your life is going to change. Your response to the love that he pours out to you is going to be a transformed heart that causes you to behave differently than you perhaps are behaving right now. Don't enter into this lightly. But don't tarry either because Jesus, as I said, is coming. And so pray this simple prayer right where you are. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, say, Lord Jesus, I know I need a Savior. I can't do this life on my own terms. I, I want to be yours, Lord Jesus. So come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Only you can do that for me, Jesus. So I ask you to do that now. And it's in your name that I ask it. Amen. It's a simple prayer, but can you see how it opens the door where Jesus is knocking? It's an invitation for the Holy Spirit to come. It's an invitation for Jesus to come. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. Jesus said, I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. And on that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my father and I will love them 
and reveal myself to them. That is Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit. It's the promise of the Holy Spirit that each of us as believers received when we make that commitment to make Jesus Christ our Lord. Your life in Christ. Hear me. Your life in Christ is not immune to the things that go on in the world. We, we still get sick. We still have problems to deal with. We still have the trials and the tribulations in our everyday life. That's the sad reality of a fallen, broken world where sin abounds. But the difference, the difference since we become believers on Christ, the difference is that we now have the Holy Spirit residing within and the strength of Christ and the love of God to walk through the difficult times, the struggles. We have the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit within us. It's just as Jesus promised us, I will love you and reveal myself to you. That's a promise from Jesus to you. As a Christ follower, as one who abides in Christ, as one who has received the promise of the resurrected life, you no longer are walking this sanctified journey by yourself. That should be comforting. That realization that you don't have to do life on your own. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.